Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Good to see you all here today. Uh, looking, looking forward to getting into the message this morning. I think the word that uh, Warren just shared with us goes along pretty well with the message. So take your Bible. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing in our verse-by-verse teaching, preaching of this epistle. Uh, so we're looking at verses uh, 6 through 9, 1 Peter chapter 1. Why don't we stand together as we read the Word of God today. And it's so good to see you all in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Uh, after I read this, I'm going to pray. But I want to lift up a few people that are, that are homesick today as well. And I wanted to just th- thank a minute. Fortune, thank you for your cleaning ministry every weekend. We do appreciate it so much. Praise the Lord. So 1 Peter 1 and verse number 6. It says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, that little part right there always gets me every time, if need be, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you, Lord, for the liberty we have in this great country to proclaim and teach and preach the word of God without fear of being interrupted by our government or anybody else. Thank you for the freedom. Lord, let us seize the moment to hear and apply your word to our lives. Let it not be just head knowledge. Let it be heart, soul, spirit knowledge that will equip us for the battle we all face every single day. Holy Spirit, come. Teach us what we need to know. And in all things, Lord God, be glorified. Let your church be edified. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen Amen. and amen. You may be seated. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So today, uh, if you've been following the last couple of messages, uh, we're going from some real spiritual things that Peter was talking about. To, um, to living out the faith that we have in our, in our hearts in a very practical way. Let me just remind you of a few things. In verse number one, uh, he's talking to the pilgrims or the sojourners of the dispersion. The dispersion is referring to those that have been persecuted. Uh, this is probably prior to Nero's persecution, but nonetheless, in Acts uh, 7 and 8 and 12, we read about the persecution that began. So Peter is writing to people who have had difficulties. They've been persecuted. And uh, so they're, they're traveling lightly. They're, they're scattered all over the place. Uh, that's present-day Turkey in verse number 1. But um, today we want to we go from the doctrinal statements that he gave. If you look at verse number 2, uh, just going back real quickly, we have a picture of God the Father. We have a picture of the sanctification of the Spirit, and we have the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a little picture, a little snapshot of the Trinity at work. And we see a similar thing in verse number number 3. We have the Father at work. We have Jesus working there. In verse number 5, we have the power of God that's keeping us. That's the Holy Spirit. 
So he's referring to, not uh, explicitly saying it, but he's referring to the, the triune nature of God that's at work in salvation. And that's all good and that's important to know. However, there comes a point in our lives when all that, as good as it is, now we have to live it out in real life. And that's when it gets difficult for most of us. So we're going to do what we do. We're going to go verse by verse through this. And then we're going to give you some application as to how this applies to our life today. So in verse number six, uh, he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Just to clarify where we're going. What he's talking about is in verse number th- Verse number uh, three, uh, he's talking about that living hope. Remember, we talked about it last week, the living hope. God the Father with his abundant mercy, hallelujah, the new life we have through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the living hope and the inheritance we have that's reserved for us in heaven, being kept by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all this we rejoice. I think we were, we were uh, rejoicing this morning, just knowing God and being at peace with God and having God at work in us. With no other reason, we rejoice because God is God. Amen. And he called us to worship him. And we're excited that we can worship the Lord in spirit and truth. Some of us are still amazed at the fact that God would choose me or you to worship him. Because some of us still remember how it used to be in the day when we were far, far, far from God. And yet he has put his spirit in us, caused us to become a new creation that we could now, hallelujah, give him praise. We're still amazed at that. And may I say something? We should be amazed at that. We should be amazed at that until the day we meet him face to face. So continue to be amazed at what the Lord has done and is doing. But we rejoice in what God has done what he's doing. I, I like to repeat this. Uh, Warren, you might remember a brother Santos that was here sometime during Hillstock years. Santos said, we have a singing faith. We have someone to sing to and something to sing about. Your Christianity is one of the few great faiths of the world that has a singing component to it. Well, we rejoice and we sing because God is worthy of our praise. Amen. Amen. But verse number six just throws something in here that we wish wasn't there, but it's a reality for all of us. It says, in this we greatly, or you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, uh, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So that we're going from a real spiritual component to a real practical component. This is my kind of message I want you to know. We're going from the real heavenly qualities to now the real earthly qualities of living our faith out in real life, in real time, knowing all the beautiful things that God put in our hearts and in our mind, but we're living out our our lives in a situation that is, for many of us, less than ideal. So we're rejoicing. We're now joined Coupled together uh, with our trials for a little while, if need be. I want to just address that if need be part. It always kind of puzzled me. I realized if need be. So in other words, uh, the length of time of the trial is relative to what needs to be accomplished through the trial. Now for most of us, and I put me in the front of the list, that trial is basically a lifetime Although there may be different ones, but there's a trial always going on somewhere in my life, in my heart and spirit. But this is what I want to say. The trial comes 
not to hurt or, or to upset us, but the trial comes that our faith could be exposed. It's, it's a good thing. I mean, we'll get to that in a second. But all trials, we have this thought, all trials come from the enemy. Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. It doesn't matter where they come from. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, I've been buffeted uh, 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 I've been buffeted by Satan who's given me a thorn in the flesh. And I asked the Lord three times to take this away from me. The Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. So even if it is from Satan, it doesn't matter, really. God is allowing it to happen to bring something good in us. Let me, let me reiterate this. It's, we're, we're grieved, it says here, we're grieved by various trials. In other words, we're, we're bothered, we're saddened, we're perplexed. Or sometimes, uh, in, my, in my experience, I feel a little confused as to what's going on. I don't know why something's going on that I didn't make happen, I didn't cause to happen, but something's going on in my spirit and in, in my life. It's confusing to me. It hinders me. But there are various trials, and let me just talk about the, the word various. They're unspecific trials. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and something is bothering me, and I don't even know what it is, but I know something's not right in me. Something is going on, like on the outside, but it's affecting me spiritually. But this, uh, this various trial phrase is unspecific, because the human experience is so diverse. What bothers me won't bother you, maybe. What bothers me doesn't bother my wife sometimes. What bothers her doesn't bother me. But we're all, we all have this thing going on. We have something we're dealing with. And I liked what I read about this various trial. It was compared to the, the multicolored and the multilayered uh, piece of marble. If you could picture a piece of marble with like the, the different colors and the thickness of some lines and the different, uh, different stripes or a different way. But they're so compounded together. That's what's happening in our lives. We have all of that going on in us. I mean, not to make light of it, but you ever say hello to someone and they, they don't want to give you the time of day? Well, they're dealing with something. It's nothing personal. They're just dealing with something. I have a lot of that going on in my life. I, I, people don't know what's in the back of my mind, but if you only knew, oh my goodness. But there's stuff going on in all of us. But so, so verse number six, you know, we're rejoicing in the big picture and we must the Lord has called us to be a rejoicing people, a joyful people. But we're, we're rejoicing in the big picture in spite of what's happening in the little picture. And so you have to say, why is it like that? Well, verse 7 and the rest of them explain why it's like that. Verse number 7 says, so that, that's happening, so that the reality, the genuineness of your faith could be tested and then revealed. So this isn't to, uh, to bother, to crush, to hurt, to diminish us. This is happening so that we could arise to the occasion. Doesn't that put a whole different slant on it? We think, oh, there's a trial. Satan's out to get me. Well, maybe, maybe not. But for sure, God is using the trial to lift you up, to raise you up. Sometimes we don't know how much faith we even have until we go through something and we look back and say, oh, Lord God, thank you for seeing me through. Thank you for allowing my faith to carry me through. Uh, we could go to different places. I just want to mention a few. James chapter 1, I, sometimes I feel like I say these scriptures so many times, you might get tired of me saying them. But in James chapter 1, 
It says, consider it all joy when you go through various trials because those trials produce patience in you. Amen. Wow. Romans 5 tells us we glory in our tribulations. Anyone glory in you? Well, I don't know about that. I'm working on it, Lord. I, I'm trying to, but... Yeah. But see, we glory in our tribulations because tribulations produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. Now, I know we've got a lot of characters around here, but we need to have some characters with character. You see what I mean? It's good to be a character, but let's make sure the character has some character in it. So our trials come to expose our faith and, and that's important. Uh, in other words, a trial comes and we think, how am I going to get through this? But then we look back and we, we think, okay, Lord, do I really trust you? Do I really believe your word that says I'm more than a conqueror or whatever? Do I really believe that I'm a child of God and even though there's difficulties, you're, you're going to see me through? Do I really believe that? See, the trials come to kind of present our faith to God. And for that, we should rejoice. The genuineness of your faith would be exposed. It says in verse number seven, uses an analogy of gold. Gold is uh, purified by fire. Um, it's more, faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. Faith and gold are both tested by fire. Gold, as you probably know, when it's heated up, it, the impurities come out of it, and what's left is pure. But when faith is purified, what's left is, in verse number 7, praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a little bit of a deep concept, but there's two things I want to tell you about this. This is all about Jesus coming back. All of this we're going through, whatever we're going through, it's about either meeting the Lord or Him coming back to get us. But either way, if He comes back to get us, we'll be in a position to give Him praise and honor and glory. Hallelujah. But the flip side of that is when he comes to get us or we die and go be with him, he gives us the praise and the honor and the glory. You say, why do I say that? Well, because the scripture says things like we're going to be like him. It's like he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He's going to have crowns laid up for us. We're accepted. We're joyful. There's no more dying and suffering. There's celebration and glory. The praise that we bring to God, God also embraces us with. And how do we get that? By our faith on earth. We go through trials and tribulations and temptations and struggles, but we're faithfully going through, going through, going through. We're being purified. Yeah, the old is dying out like gold, but the new is being refined and strengthened. I'll put it this way. It, it, we can't expect to go like climb the mountain on the first shot. We've got to go through some little stuff to build up our stamina in faith. Just like those scripture tells us, we, we can't have someone become a leader in the church too quickly. They need to, you know, they need to experience God and grow in their faith and so forth. In the same way, our faith, we start out little with little things. But then we, we trust God. Okay, we did that. Now we could do more. We could do more. We could do more. And then a whole lifetime goes by. And then we meet the Lord one day. He's, and, and the praise and glory and honor we give to the Lord, he embraces us. 
I'm so looking forward to the day when Jesus embraces me. Amen. There's, there's no easy way there. There's no easy way there. It is hard. This Christian life is a hard life. You know, it's a difficult life, but it's a, it's a worthwhile life. I mean, no one ever said that to me when we first came to the Lord. I, I, I share this testimony. Really, back in those days, it was really all about me getting right and hallelujah, I'm good now, look at me. <laughs> and then I realized a little bit later, wait a minute, you know. And so it is all about you now serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It kind of diminishes us again in comparison, but we're, we're in a right position now. And it's hard, but it's worth it. It's good. So uh, let me digress just a second here. But this, this theme of suffering and purifying for a greater good is really throughout Peter's epistle. Now, I'll forewarn you that what I'm, going to, what I'm saying, uh, there may be some Christian fellowships that don't agree with me, don't, don't agree with this, that every Christian should be on the mountaintop 24-7. I wish that were the case. That's never been my experience when I'm there, hallelujah, but I know, you know, as they say, it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming, but maybe Sunday, but Monday morning's coming too. It's back to the grind. But look at, look at these scriptures with me. Uh, it's real easy to find. So 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse number 20. 1 Peter 2, 20. What credit is it uh, when you are beaten for your faults? That you take it patiently. In other words, you, you get what you deserve. But when you, do, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to, to you, for, for to this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. So we could see when we go through trials or suffering, we're being like Christ in that regard. Chapter 3, verse 13. <clears throat> who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. Let me say that again. If you should suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. That's that living hope that's within us. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. In chapter 5, verse 10, it says, May the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, may he perfect and establish and strengthen and settle you. So all of this going on back in 1 Peter 1.7, all this is going on that we would give the Lord praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all a plan of the Lord to see us through these days. And we give ourselves. We die daily. We, we give ourselves up to the Lord. But verses 8 and 9 are interesting to me. Referring to Jesus, it says, 
whom having not seen, you love. And yeah, I mean, I, I, know, a, I know a brother that told me he saw Jesus. And I, I, don't, I can't argue with him. If he saw Jesus, he saw Jesus. I never saw Jesus in the physical, but I guess maybe some people have. But, but you know, he said, you haven't seen him, but you love him. It says, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I, I find something interesting in this, that um, there's two blessings I see in the word of God. One is in Revelation chapter 1. Simply by reading the book of Revelation, it says you'll be blessed. Just reading it. And now I see another thing. If we believe without seeing, we're, we're blessed. Jesus said to Thomas in John chapter 20, he said, Thomas, you know, you've seen me and you believed and you're blessed. But blessed are those who, who have not yet seen me, but they believe. So there's something special about us. I mean, Peter saw and believed. He was one of the 12. But everyone since that first generation of people that saw the Lord, they haven't seen the Lord like Peter did. We haven't seen the Lord like Peter did, but we believe. And there's a promise that there's blessing in that relationship with the Lord. That's encouraging to me. We have a, this living hope within us. You know, Christ is alive within our hearts and we don't see him, but we sense him. We see him with our, with our spirit, you could say. But then it says in verse number eight, uh, believing, we, we rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And this is a, something I want to try to communicate. When we're in this process of worshiping God and, and, and rejoicing in God, as we go through trials, we don't see the Lord, but we're believing in him. We're trusting in him. In that process of doing all that, it says in verse number nine, we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. So in that, in that, uh, in that uh, context of struggling through, working through the problems, in that battle going on, we experience the salvation of God. Now, I said it last week, but I'll say it again. The Lord has saved us. Right? 2 Timothy 1.9, the Lord has saved us. 1 Corinthians 1.18, we are being saved. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to we who are being saved, it's the power of God unto salvation. And the Lord will save us, uh, Romans 5.9, uh, 5, 9, uh, from the wrath to come. We have this whole thing going on, but when we're in the battle, we're experiencing the joy of salvation. And I would say this, without those struggles and those battles, we won't experience the joy of salvation in its fullest measure. If everything was easy, well, what's the point? The test is, what, what are we going to do when things aren't going easy? But in that struggle, that, uh, that struggle of faith and, and trust in God to see us through, we experience the joy of salvation. I like what it says in verse number eight. You rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I've known people on their deathbed that were happy in Christ. Come on. I've known people that were going through murder, but they were rejoicing in God because the Holy Spirit was in them. I've known people in prison that rejoiced and gave God all the praise and all the glory. You know, people that are sick, that just trust God. Why? Because they're experiencing this dynamic that through the problem, God is working and moving and strengthening and helping us through. Let me, let's, let's remember, this life is absolutely temporary. 
That life is eternal. We're just going back to verse number one, the pilgrims, the sojourners. We're just passing through this life. One day we'll have an eternity with the Lord. We get hung up on the idea that we're going to be here forever. When I was younger, I used to think that. Now I'm old and I'm looking and I'm saying, oh, wow, that was pretty quick what just happened. That was a quick, that was a quick number. Wow. I look at my baby pictures. They're in black and white. Somebody say amen. Hello. Can anybody relate? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. I'm just saying time goes by awfully fast. So this living hope, back in verse number three, we have this living hope. Come on. I'll say it again, man. Last week I said it. This living hope should really propel us to get into the house of God, to worship God. We should be so ready to give thanks and praise to God. Oh, but pastor, you don't know. I don't need to know. You got something, I got something. Forget it, forget that. Let's just get into the house of God and worship him. So Psalm 16, verse 11 says this. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. Yeah, but Lord, I have this big problem. Get into the presence of God. I remember one time many years ago, I heard a pastor preach a message about the presence of God. It's still resonating in my spirit. This is probably 25, 30 years, a long time ago. We need the presence of God. The presence of God won't make your problems disappear, but they'll make them seem less because they are less in comparison to his glory. Amen. So I want to give you three things to think about. I like to say I want to give you three things to take home and ponder uh, about this passage of Scripture. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. The title of the message is always a test. It's always a test. I say to people a lot, it's a test. You didn't do anything bad necessarily. It's a test. You're going to make it. You're going to get through it. Hang on to God. Hang on to your church. Hang on to the word of God. Hang on to worship. Hang on to prayer. Right? But you're going to make it. The problem is when you don't do those things, yeah, then you're all messed up and who knows where you're going to end up. But we don't have to do that. It's always a test. Only Okay, so here's number one. You are not the only one. <laughs> you are not the only one. You know, I remember, let's go over chapter 4 just a second. I read it earlier, but chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, I like the way, you know, this is written. Like he's saying, hey, I, I love you, I love you, you know. But come on, don't think it's so strange that you're going through something. I love you, but I have to tell you the truth. Everyone's going through something. Don't think it's strange you're going through a trial, you know. That would just to try you, though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice in the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering. Let me, I don't think I said this earlier, but by the very fact of us being Christians, we don't fit here. We don't fit in the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world anymore. We're, we've taken, we've become 
We've been taken out of the world. We live in the spirit of God now. We're living in the kingdom of God, which is in the world, but we don't belong in the world, but we're here. That's why we say we're pilgrims or sojourners. We're traveling through. But in that context, there's no, there's no way we're going to feel satisfied with the world or with flesh. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.18, one of my favorite scriptures, he says, we with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So we're looking as in a mirror, we're seeing the glory of the Lord on us and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of our Lord. None of us have arrived yet. But being changed from glory to glory sometimes, well, it always means we have to die in some capacity. That's where the trials come in. I don't know anyone that wants to really die like, oh, yeah, let me die. No, usually it happens when we're faced with a situation where we realize we have to die to that in order to go forward. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Paraphrase, stick with me. You're going to be all right. The world will drive you crazy, but stick with me. You're going to make it through. Hebrews tells us that he whom the Lord loves, he chastens. I would say every believer of every uh, generation, of every nation, will be or has been already grieved by some type of trial. See, faith in Christ equals conflict with the world. It's got to. Faith in Christ equals conflict with our flesh. And the tests prove our faith. They don't destroy our faith. I can remember, some of you know this part of my life, but I was 16 and my brother was killed in a car accident at 19 years of age. Very sad moment for my family. I can remember my mother and my father being like, a, they were broken, but they were like a rock. I've read other cases when someone, something like that happens in the family, the family is destroyed. They get angry, they get angry at God, angry at people, start drinking or whatever, they leave, whatever. My family, my mother and father, I have to say, they were a rock. They were solid. We all looked to them for security. But that's, that's what trials do. We were stronger because of that tragedy, believe it or not. And that tragedy affected my salvation, caused me to think about eternal things. But I want to give you a couple of examples uh, about, this, about this one topic, that, that we're not alone. Uh, you're not alone in your, in your tests. I want to share a couple of things that happened in my life. Um, the first, I call this a test of obedience. And the lie of Satan was, I could never live my life back where I was raised. Now, many of you are from the area, and that's good. You're living your faith out here. I got saved, Pamela and I got saved. And, and then we got married right away, like a month, or, month and a half later, we got married. And the next day after our wedding, we moved to North Carolina. We're from New York. We moved to North Carolina. I never wanted to go back to New York again. I was done with New York. That's where all my troubles were. Well, everything was going great down there. I had a house. I bought a house. Had a good job. Got my college degree. My job was paying for my education to get work on my master's degree in guidance and counseling. Stacy was born there. Had friends. Had a church. Had everything going. Man, I was I was ready for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden, the Lord started to speak to my wife. <laughs> and. Uh, she said, I think maybe we should think about going home. Oh, no, 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 no. God wouldn't have brought us here to then move back. To, but it was gnawing at me. It was a trial of my faith. I figured God brought us down there. Everything was good. 
Except my wife wasn't happy. And when she's not happy, I wasn't happy. And I, I, well, I, then I started praying about it. I started fasting about it. People in the church said, Rick, man, you're, you're losing weight. What's going on with you? I said, I'm seeking the Lord for something. I'm wrestling with God. Just leave me alone for a little bit. After, I don't know how long it took to realize, but we, we made plans to move to New York. See, the, the lie was, you can't live out your faith in New York. You, there's no way. You're not strong enough. And God had to prove it to me that I was strong enough. Well, I wasn't, but he was strong enough in me. So we come back to New York shortly after that, probably within a year, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, Pamela too. And then through a series of events, we're raised up to get into ministry. If we never went back, that whole process would have never happened. I'll give you another example. We came on staff at Harvest Time Assembly of God. Greg, you would appreciate this. Uh, and I, I'm a guitar player. You know, I've, I, that was a big deal, playing my guitar in church. That was like a big deal. I always played in clubs and stuff before. Now I'm playing for Jesus. Hallelujah. It's cool, you know, to play my guitar. So we're at this church, and uh, I don't think I was on staff yet, but I, I might have been. But anyway, the worship leader went on to pastor his own church. And I thought, without a doubt, the pastor's going to ask me to be the worship leader, because it was only logical to me. Not that I was the greatest thing, but I was like next in line, if you will. And lo and behold, he chose the bass player, to, <laughs> not the bass player. He chose the bass player to be the worship leader. But I have to tell you, I did, it didn't rattle me. It did not rattle me. But I sensed it was a test from God that maybe Satan planted a seed of jealousy or anger or favoritism in my spirit. I, I didn't go there. I really didn't go there. I was happy for this brother that he was doing it. But it was a test for me. The thing was, uh, uh, can, I, can I play second fiddle to another person? That was my test. And I, and I gladly played second fiddle. I play better second fiddle than first fiddle, to tell you the truth. Uh, here's another example. Uh, uh, we, were, we had moved up to Webster, Mass. to pastor a church down there. And through a series of events, we were called to come here. But when we were in Webster... Man, things were happening. We had a thing called Webstock, which is the forerunner of Hillstock. And uh, there for 13 years, our kids were raised there. And all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but yeah, kind of all of a sudden, I felt like our time there was up. And the test was, could I leave all of that, like leave the revival situation and come to a Haverhill, Massachusetts? Here's the lie. Here's the lie. You could never do what you did in Webster in Haverhill. You know, you had your heyday. You could never do that up here. It's a whole different ball game up here in Haverhill. It's bigger place, bigger community, 60,000 people, you know. And that was my battle. I was struggling, but I, I couldn't stay where I was. I knew my time was up down there. I, it was a test. And so I had to say, okay, Lord, we're going to pack up and go to Haverhill, Massachusetts. And so now we've been here for, what, 15 years already. But it was a challenge to step out of my comfort zone to do something for God. And all the insecurities come up. I mean, I, my biggest joke to myself was, Lord, why'd you bring me to Haverhill where North Point Bible College is relocating, Zion is relocating to Haverhill, and all these teachers and students are going to be coming to the church? I never even went to Bible college like that. And, and I met these professors that have their Ph.D. and whatnot, and I'm like the little guy, you know? And all these insecurities came up. But the Lord said, you be obedient. And I'll bless your, your ministry in Haverhill, Massachusetts. 
So if you're thinking you're the only one, you're definitely not the only one. We all have something going on. Here's number two. Here's number two. Sometimes the Lord uses situations, like in my life, but often the Lord uses people in our lives to test us. This is where it gets a little dicey. <laughs> little, little dicey right here. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You know what that means? Friends can talk to you and tell you things about yourself that you may not want to hear. Because they're your friend, they could get away with it. And they're speaking truth, hopefully. Now, Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. And that would be great if that were always the case. But sometimes it's not the case. Sometimes people just say something and it blows you away. But God will use people to, to work on your heart, on your soul. I, I don't have time to turn to it. I'm just going to tell you this story real quick. I'm trying to keep an eye on the time. But here, you can write this down for reference. I think it's up there. 2 Samuel 16, 7 through 12. This is a great story, a great, great story. You have to listen to this. Focus in, everybody. On live stream, you have to hear this. It's the story of David and Shemei. Everyone say Shemei. Shemei. Anyone ever hear of Shemei? He's not a real popular character in the Bible, but he played a pivotal role in David's life. Here's the setting. David is now king of Israel. King Saul died. And David's son Absalom, David and Absalom had a falling out. Absalom wanted his throne and David is now running away from Absalom. And uh, all of a sudden, as the story goes, this person named Shemai appears in the story. And uh, Warren, you know this story? Uh, you, you may know this from North Point, but, but he, it says he's from the family of Saul. All right, so he's, he's one of the, the old standbys of the old regime. So Shemai comes out of nowhere. He starts to curse David. Starts to throw stones at him. Didn't want to kill him, just wanted to aggravate him and maybe hurt him a little bit. He called David a rogue, called him bloodthirsty. Now, there's part of that that's true, because one of David's problems was, which allowed him to be in a position to not build the temple because he, was, he had murdered too many people, he, was, he had that trait about him. So some of what he was saying was true, but then he started to accuse David of killing King Saul. And... And he started to say, David, you're having all this trouble with Absalom, your son, because of what you did to King Saul. You're too bloodthirsty. And you know right there, I mean, I can relate, that plays on somebody's mind. David is probably thinking, well, maybe he's right, maybe this and that. And then Abishai, David's right-hand man, wants to kill Shemai right then and there. But David says, no, 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 don't kill him. Don't kill him. David says something so outlandish. He says, you know what? The Lord has sent him to curse me. The Lord ordered him to do this. And I could just imagine Abishai and the rest of David's men saying, what are you talking about? I want to kill, I want to cut his head off. That's what it says. It says, no, no, you let him do that. The Lord sent him. Then David says, maybe the Lord will use this, will see this and repay me good for all his cursing. Maybe God will bless me by tolerating what this guy is doing to me. And Shemai, the story ends, Shemai cursing David, throwing stones, uh, kicking up dust at him. The end of that story with Shemai, finally he is executed for his wickedness. He was a very despicable person. But at that moment, David recognized the hand of God through this guy Shemai. 
And I want to raise the question, do you have a, don't raise your hand. Do you have a Shemei in your life? Someone that's just a thorn in your flesh. Someone that's throwing spiritual, emotional stones at you, upsetting you, causing conflict in your heart and spirit. This could be God's way of testing you to see what you will do or what you won't do in that situation. Jesus said to turn the other cheek, didn't he? He said to love your enemy and so forth. David said, I'm I'm not going to respond. I'm going to hold my peace and see what God will do. I want to encourage you, church, when you're going through a trial, it's just like, I don't want to say the enemy or like the Lord. I'm not sure. It's like the Lord to allow something to happen that will see where you're at. Because now it becomes a question of where you're at, not that person. It's about you, what you're going to do with this. David chose the high road. And the Lord wants us to choose the high road. In that, in that setting, our faith is purified. Scripture makes it clear, judgment is mine, says the Lord. We're not to judge, and vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't get vengeance. We give, the, we give that all to the Lord. Let the Lord deal with that. That's more, that's more fearful anyway for someone to face God than to face one of us. So the second point is sometimes God uses people that will, you know, that will potentially bring the worst out in us, but in reality, it's God's way of bringing out the best in us if we see it that way. All right, here's number three. I'm going to try to wrap this up. The third thing is this, always a test. Tests are absolutely 100% a proving ground. And the scripture references 2 Samuel 12, 18 and 18 through 20. I'll just tell the story. Here's the background. You probably know it when I tell you, but David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. She, she uh, uh, well, I'll just leave it, that, leave it at that. He connived to have her husband sleep with her so that it would cover up the pregnancy. Sounds like something you read about today, right? So he calls in Uriah from the battlefield, and, and, he, and he brings him home. Has a nice basket of food, and he thinks he's going to go in and sleep with his wife. Uriah is such an honorable man. He's in, he's in battle mode. He doesn't go in to sleep with her. So then, then David has his men get Uriah drunk. Maybe then he won't think right. He'll go in and sleep with his wife, and you know we could blame this pregnancy on him, not me. Well, he didn't do that either. He was too honorable. Then David says, well, you know what, to, to his generals, send Uriah to the front line. And in his mind, he's thinking, if he goes to the front line, somebody's going to kill him. That'll take care of Uriah. And that's exactly what happened. And David's living his life. He went on his merry way. Uriah died, and she's pregnant. Nobody knows who the father is. And until one day, the prophet Nathan came to David and said, David, you are the man. And David repented, and he, he was crushed and broken, and, and, and he was sorrowful that he did all those things. So he made it right with God. But Bathsheba was still pregnant. And Bathsheba had a baby. And the baby was very, very sick. And so David, it says, David prayed and fasted for healing. 
He laid down prostrate on the ground for one day, two days, three days, for seven days. His men, he was inconsolable. He was, he was getting close to God saying, God, please, please, please heal this little baby. Heal this little baby. And lo and behold, what happened? The baby died. And right there is the test. I mean, there were tests all along, but right there is a major test. What do you do? When you're praying your heart out, you're fasting, you're laying down, you're giving a God everything. Lord, you have to do this, please. I trust you, I trust you. And then the opposite happens. What do you do in that situation? Well, some people would go out and curse God. Some people would go out and get drunk or whatever. Some people would go act like a maniac and just let out all their frustration. But David, it says, David, um, in verses 18, let me, let me read this. This is uh, 2 Samuel 12. On the seventh day, I want to read 18 to 20. On the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died. The servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, he perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, yes, he's dead. Verse number 20, here it is. The test is right here. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went down to his own house and when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. And then his servants said to him, what is this that you've done, David? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when he was dead, you arose and ate food. And David said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I go fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And then David comforted Bathsheba. And the story goes on from there. But at that moment of test, when I, my terminology, the bottom fell out. The worst thing that could have happened, happened. The baby died. What do you do? David washed himself off, put on different clothes, went into the house of God, ate some food, refreshed himself, and worshiped God. I'm telling you, every test is a proving ground. And we're not going to have things in a nice, neat package in this life. I have to tell you. We, we hope for the best. We always hope for healing. We always hope for the best in everything. But my experience tells me sometimes yes and sometimes no. God has different reasons for everything. But whatever happens, he's calling us to prove our faith, not only to him, but to prove it to ourselves. I'm sure when we go through a trial like that, and something's really bothering us, and it doesn't happen the way we think it should happen, I have, I've had these conversations with the Lord. Lord, this shouldn't have happened this way. What happened? I think it should have happened this way. The Lord says, you're not me. Just forget that. You're not me. And he appreciates our input. I'm not saying that. He appreciates our input. He hears us. But his ways are higher than ours. The, the test is, what do we do when we don't get our way? Now, from time to time, I talk about our little two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. She's at that age where the glory is dissipating and the real life is coming on. <laughs> and when she doesn't get her way... Oh, my goodness. But are we going to be like a two-year-old? Are we going to be mature in our faith? Lord, I don't understand it. I'm going to trust you anyway. A test is always a proving ground.
in summary, why don't we stand together? There's always a test. For some of you, when you go home today, you're going to be facing a test. Just remember these three things. You're not the only one. Little commotion over here? <laughs> Aren't you glad you came to church? Here's some good news. No, the good news is you can get through the test. You can get through. The, it's a proving ground. Prove yourself faithful to God for God and for yourself. Prove it to yourself that you're a man or woman of God. So here's a summary. You're not alone. God uses people often. And a test is always a proving ground. Well, let's read the scripture together. I abbreviated it a little bit, verses 6 and 7. So repeat with me. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? Come on. That is a good scripture. That's like, that's, that's like earthy, you know? We went from the mountain to like the real life. Let's say it again. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Every head bowed for just a moment, please. And we're going to close out in prayer in just a second. Anybody here? No one looking around. Anyone here going through a trial? I mean, a real trial. Come on. Let the Lord know. Let the Lord know. Lord, you know it, but I'm letting you know. I'm letting the pastor know. I'm going through a trial. How many of you are right now determined to turn that trial into a proving ground for your faith? Come on. This is here to bring out the best in you, not the worst. It's, it's, it's happening to bring out the very best in you. And finally, how many of you have no, no one looking around? That number two part, people. There's somebody in your life. He's a stone in your shoe. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It happens. God will help you with that. Finally, finally, is there anybody here today, maybe somebody online, that you've come to a place in your life where, yeah, you got all these trials, and maybe for a long time you've been mad at God. It's time to let it go. Or you've been mad at a person. It's time to let, let that go. It's time to really trust the Lord with your life. For somebody, maybe somebody here or online, this means surrendering your life to Jesus giving your life to the Lord, accepting him as your Lord and Savior. Not your friend. He is your friend, but he's way, way more than a friend. He died for your life. I just want to raise this last question. Is there somebody here that needs to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Raise your hand if that's you. All right. Is there anyone that needs to make a recommitment to God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. 
Lord, I, I love Psalm 122. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. Our feet have been in the, the courtyards of Jerusalem. Now, now we're in the temple. We're in that holy place. Lord, thank you for this dynamic of preaching the word of God and worshiping you in real time. <laughs> this is a living faith. And, and thank you, Lord, for responding to us the way you have today. Father, I pray for everybody here, everyone online, everyone that will hear this message later, that we will all consider this, that there's always going to be a test. And the tests don't come to destroy, they come to uplift and to prove that we're faithful to you. Lord, help us with that. Lord, I know there's sometimes, even for myself, I go through a trial, I think, Lord, I can't even make it. I can't make it through. But somehow, by your grace, we all make it through. Lord, help someone that's that's teetering right now of letting go of you, not to let go, not yet, not, not to let go. Lord, may your mighty hand come and rescue and strengthen and help somebody. May the church, the living church with the living hope be available to help people that are struggling in this. And Lord, for those of us that may have people in our lives that, that are like Shemaiis in our life, we pray, Lord, that we'll learn to appreciate that they're, they're the iron sharpening iron in our own hearts. Let us take the high ground in those areas. So thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. Father, I want to pray one more thing, and that's for tonight's in-house service. Lord, you know we're not usually in church on Sunday night. Lord, the live stream is great. We have a great prayer meeting every Sunday night. But Lord, this night we're going to be in the house. I pray that somebody will remember Psalm 122 that says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord, even on a Sunday night at six o'clock. I pray, Lord, for this sanctuary to be filled with worshipers, worshipers from this church, from no church, just people that see the sign out front or saw the announcement on Facebook or whatever. Fill up this place, Lord, that people will come to worship you. And we will be glad that we said, let's go to the house of the Lord. There, there's singing and worship and praising. There's excitement. There's life because God is in that house. So we thank you, Lord, for all these things. We give you all the praise and the glory. Bless our afternoon. Bring us back safely later. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Listen, everybody. Come greet Warren and, uh, and uh, Tracy. <laughs> Before you go, there's coffee in the back as well. We'll meet you at the side porch so you can all experience the new side porch. for your presence